Off-duty sick, unfit for duty, mod B, for those in the RCMP world at least. What the hell do these terms mean? And what do they do to the psyche of a first responder born and bred to help those in danger? Welcome back for part two of the Road Back to the Road series presented by the Unreasonable Grounds podcast. I'm Mike Thompson, creator and co-host of the podcast, Donut Lover and Constable with Royal Canadian Mounted Police in Nanaimo, British Columbia, Canada. And for this part, we are breaking down what does it mean to be off-duty sick, uh, ODS, uh, unfit for duty, whatever it might be. And for this episode, after part one, where I ended up in a medical uh, emergency and I'm currently off-duty sick, part two today is going to be going over a couple different things. Uh, the first one's going to be getting hurt, obviously, uh, if you got sick, mentally unwell, what that is and what that means. The next one we're going to talk about is who makes the decision that you're unfit for duty. The third one, explaining to your employer and colleagues what happened or that you're going to be off. And the fourth and final one is going to be what's the first steps into this new world look like? What does it actually look like when you're going to be going off duty and the whole mysterious world of what happens from there? So let's kick this whole thing off with talking about actually getting hurt sick and mentally unwell what 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 are those what are those things what does that mean so let's talk very firstly about what is on duty versus off duty so this is totally unique to each and every situation for an individual going through this type of thing uh, there is no cut and dry definition uh, when it comes to what this experience is and what people go through uh, when this whole thing happens. Because nobody plans to get hurt. Nobody plans to get sick and nobody plans to get mentally unwell, right? I mean, that just totally makes sense. So let's talk about when it happens between the two things. Is it on duty or off duty? So on duty, their injuries are often well-documented and witnessed. And usually this happens in seen and witnessed by several officers. And there's evidence of the mechanism of that injury that makes it very apparent that something happened and something went wrong. I mean, I can talk about any number of ways that this can that this particular thing can happen. It can either be a motor vehicle collision. You can be injured in a pursuit of duty, such as a foot pursuit, a physical altercation, whether you had an interaction with a suspect, whether it be a fight, whether it be a tr- trying to get them in handcuffs. You know, there's tons of different ways to get hurt, you know, whatever it might have been. But that's your on, typical on-duty injury for an officer, first responder, uh, law enforcement officer in this particular case. So the on-duty injuries are often seen as a passage of right or a badge of honor uh, that you've sacrificed life and limb to get the job done. It's a sense of virtue that we actually have in the injury itself. It's sort of like it's an honorable injury that is often, you know, personified as such within the inner workings of the your colleagues and the watches or teams or whatever it might be it's one of those things where it's like you end up going out there after somebody and you end up getting hurt or whatever it is and everybody sees it and they're like oh man you know you took a dive or you know you got hurt or you know you got that guy but man you got mangled in the you know you either took an elbow in the head or you know you twisted an ankle doing something or you blew out your knee or your back or whatever it was but when it's on duty, that's the thing. It's sort of like the Purple Heart kind of feeling to it, right? 
by no means am I comparing a Purple Heart to an injury, you know, for law enforcement, but it, it's very similar in the mind of people. People see it as an honorable injury. Those are really apparent, and those are some of the most common that we do see uh, in our line of work as first responders. Now, let's talk a little bit about the off-duty injury or illness. So, very first one, we'll talk about off-duty physical injuries. And they're very tricky to maneuver and some of the most complicated to deal with mentally when it comes to first responders. Uh, these often make the injured person feel embarrassed and ashamed that their actions outside of work are now putting their colleagues and the public at possible risk because of their personal life decisions. I mean, come on, you have recreational injuries, sports injuries. Hell, I've had them myself where I've gotten hurt A in hockey. Uh, B, you know, I got hurt once when I was playing with my kids at a playground. I was running up a, a slide and ended up banging the top of my head on like a little um, a roof enclosure for a slide. It, it knocked me out. I ended up flat in my face and I was like completely stunned by it. But of course, having a history of concussions through hockey and work and whatever it might have been, I was absolutely done. And it literally screwed up my neck, it screwed up my back and it put me out and I couldn't do my job because I couldn't function properly and I ended up having to take the time off that's embarrassing and I felt ashamed because I'm like how the hell did I get hurt doing that and now that is affecting my colleagues seriously like it's just it, it was the worst uh, no one does this job and doesn't feel an obligation to their watch section teammates whatever it might be to show up and pull their weight and do a good job that is just the essence of especially for those that are getting into law enforcement work it is a team mentality it is a team job now whether or not you work in a large detachment, you know, I work in a, what I consider a medium-sized detachment in Nanaimo, or if you work in some of the smaller spots I've worked in, like Grand Isle, Houston, where I worked up there in the middle of you know, basically nowhere, uh, where you work by yourself quite a bit, or just with one other person, you literally depend upon, you know, their, their lives depend upon you, you depend upon them, it, it is just one of those things, right? But again, like I said, no one does this job and doesn't feel an obligation, Right? To their people. So I've had both of these types of injuries. I've had on-duty and off-duty injuries that have taken me off the job for several weeks at a time. And each time it's always as complicated and challenging an experience. It just absolutely is. It's so complicated in the sense that you're off-duty and everybody else is going in there and doing what they need to do, right? The on-duty injury, I mean, I don't know. I've, geez, I've had concussions. I've blown out my knee and, and you know, trying to go out for to execute search warrants, um, been in car accidents, uh, fallen off fences when I've been in, in pursuits, uh, you know, smashing my hands, you know, and in, in, in attempting to, you know, apprehend suspects, whatever it might be. Um, uh, there's just so many <laughs> house fires, apartment fires, like it, it just the list goes on. I've been a bit of a shit magnet, to be honest with you, when it comes to these particular types of injuries. And everyone is different, but everyone is just as complicated and challenging of an experience when it comes to these off-duty and on-duty injuries. And moving on, we'll talk a little bit about who makes the decision that you're unfit for duty. Now, I'm going to put a big disclaimer on this one. Obviously, as a member of the RCMP, we have our own processes and policies. Now, I'm not going to get into those processes and policies. It's just that is... That's shop talk. That's that's shop business. I'm not going to get into those in particular. Uh, but every single agency is a little bit different. So when we're talking about first responder groups, most are kind of similar. But, you know, there's always this mentality of unfit for duty, right? Whatever that definition might be, it'll depend upon the agency, it'll depend upon the, the health services department, whatever it might be. Let's talk about it for a second. 
who makes that decision. So let's first break it down to physical injury. It's simple. You get hurt, you go to your doctor, physician, whatever it might be, urgent care facility, hospital, whatever it might be, you're going to consult with a medical professional. And the medical professional is going to be the one that decides what is best for your medical well-being. And this also has to be a whole lot of you as well, too. You're going to be in consultation with them and having this conversation about, can you go back to work? So obviously, this is in consultation with your line officers and health services department once that decision has been made by your doctor to write you off. And whether it be for a short period of time, a longer period of time, whatever it might be, the period of time that you're going to need to heal or to document exactly what happened and then get back into shape to be able to be fit for duty. Now, again, once that happens and once that doctor's note, we always call it the doctor's note, is written down and and you're now off duty as far as medical people are concerned then you're going to be going to your line officers and your health services department and that's when that relationship starts or at least that communication and that conversation starts uh, with your line officers and that's when you start talking to your ncos you have that conversation you provide them with a note and then all of a sudden you're off duty right? Then you start getting the documentation, the communication with health services, and it comes to the point where it is, let's get you healed up, let's get you whatever you need to be able to get back going again. So let's do that. That's how that whole thing happens. Now, let's talk a little bit about light duties versus off duty. Obviously, light duties, the question is, is can you complete tasks in the workplace that can still assist the organization and team without being on the road? right? Can you be a call manager? Can you be a task monkey? When people ask, well, what a task monkey is, maybe you're shipped off to another unit. Maybe you're uh, shipped off to another section, whatever it might be. And they might have an investigation that's ongoing that they need some resources. Well, maybe you're not necessarily needed right then with a watch. If you're in, you're in uniform and general duty or patrol, whatever you want to call it, whatever your agency calls it, Maybe you're not needed, but there is a need someplace else for a body that can take on tasks. So an investigator, whatever it might be that you can do from the office that doesn't include A, having a firearm, B, having use of force options, or C, being able to go out and do your job as you would normally would. Okay, well, you know, light duties is great. That's That's fantastic. If you can be useful, be useful. I would love to be useful in this particular case, but right now it's just not the case. Now, we'll talk a little bit about being off-duty, and that basically just means you're completely unable to complete tasks due to the extent of your injury, right? This is the most complicated as you're taken away from the work environment completely, right? You're pulled out of that work environment, and you're sat down at home or wherever you're going to be, and you are just that. You're out of the game so to speak. Can't just sit on the bench and heal up on the bench and and cheer everybody on or however you want to make the analogy. But in this particular case, you don't even go on the road. You know what I mean? You're not even on the road trip. You're not even there. You can't support everybody while you're there. You can't be doing those particular types of tasks. You're just off. Okay. Imagine what that's like. And we talked a little bit about it in the first episode about what that means and and how you feel about that and taking somebody off work. And and I talked about that, about when we are a tool. As first responders, we're a tool. And sometimes you can feel like you're a hammer without a handle, right? That's exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, We'll kind of swing into this one. And I can have some experience in this as well, too, is that, you know, you have your light duties versus off duty and then your physical injuries 
But now we talk about being mentally unwell. So let's talk a little bit, very briefly, because we'll talk about this in another episode as well too, when it comes to the mental side of this whole thing. But if you're off for being mentally unwell, you have occupational stress injury, uh, whatever you're possibly dealing with in regards to your mental well-being. Obviously, again, we're looking at a physician is in consultation and collaboration with a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or health services. It's a very complicated situation that is very different, again, with every single officer and first responder. Nothing is the same. It's not cookie cutter. It's just not the case. Uh, everybody goes through things differently. Everybody has a different way of dealing with things. Every single psychologist that I've ever met and dealt with and psychiatrist and, 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 and mental health professionals that I've dealt with has have always said the same thing in the sense that every single recovery is different, every single approach to it is different, and it just depends on you. Almost always you're off duty while receiving assistance from medical professionals when it comes to being mentally unwell. I've very rarely have I seen many people going in light duties. Um, it's not to say that it's impossible. There's a lot of people that come back on graduated return to work or GRTWs. Uh, but that being said, most of the time while you're getting that uh, comprehensive uh, medical attention or psychological attention, you're you're going to be off duty, right? So again, that's a story for another day. We can have that conversation another time. But again, we'll talk a little bit about that in the future. The next thing is explaining to your colleagues or your employer, what, what, like what does that look like? What is it? What is the? How does a conversation start? And for some people, this is a very simple exchange. It is literally like, "Hey, boss, I'm off for the next couple months. See you in a few." cheers i'm out really i wish that were the case for me i really do and there's nothing to say that there's anything wrong with that because there isn't if that's a way you can go about doing your business man i you know what i i gotta give you all the props in the world for that one um, it's just not what it's, i just can't do it it's just it's not the way i'm, I'm built it's not the way i'm wired um, I think that there's probably two different schools of thought on that one, but it's just not the case. Uh, for others, this is an excruciating task of looking your own employer in the eye and having a telephone conversation to tell them that you're unwell, sick, or injured. Um, in, in this particular case, that's me. Uh, it is always hard. Um, I feel like I'm always letting people down. Uh, every single time this happens, it's like I, I get healthy, I'm back in the game again, I'm back working, and then all of a sudden some stupid thing happens because I'm a living shit magnet, and guess what? I'm off again. And yeah, it's complicated. Kind of makes you feel like you're constantly injured, constantly hurt, you're just like that guy. It's You, you don't feel like you're consistent, you don't feel like you're reliable, and always it's not your fault you know what I mean like it, it it's yeah it, it's always a, an odd odd feeling but imagine telling those people that you look up to and you respect and idolize in a lot of cases I idolize every single person I work with police officers are my heroes you know absolutely always have been and the people that I work with every single day day in day out and it's it's interesting because it's it doesn't matter whether it's the people I work with immediately. Let's say the, the people in my zone uh, that I work with on Sea Watch, and it is like the oddly enough call each other the Wolf Pack in the sense that you know every, we get calls and everybody goes running to help everybody else. And, you know, there's never somebody left behind. We're always constantly going to each other's files, going back each other up, especially you know. Too much, much to the chagrin of our supervisors who love us anyways. 
you know, there's always work to be done and there's always work that we should be doing, but we, we're always there for one another. And being able to tell them that you're off and you're unable to do the job with them can be absolutely excruciating. Probably one of the hardest things I, I find trying to get through. And that is just, yeah, it, it, it's so complicated. And it's it's such a, a, a loaded emotion when you have to do that type of thing. And, you know, let's get into emotions now. No, it's it, it, it legitimately is. It, it breaks my heart to have to go and tell my people and the people I work with. I call them my people because they're, they're my people. You know, they're my family. Uh, to, to tell them that I'm not going to be able to, to do the job with them and have their back. And it just... It absolutely kills me, but I've had to do this several times and it's just, it's not an easy thing to do. And for people like myself, it's embarrassing and deflating. You know, I say it's embarrassing because I don't want to tell people that I'm hurt again. I don't want to tell people that I'm unwell. I don't want to tell people that I'm fallible. I don't want to tell people that I'm, I'm not Superman, so to speak, that I can't, you know, get through this or battle through it. Um, In a lot of cases I've, you know, Trying to battle through stuff is often does the opposite effect of what we want is it makes things worse and deflating in the sense that you just, you're up on such a high of being able to do your job and be useful and, and being there for each other. And then all of a sudden you're just like, all the air gets let out of your balloon. You just like turn into something small, right? Useless. Uh, And we discussed that in part one. But again, I can remember even a conversation I had with my previous supervisors in, in one of the plainclothes units I was in. And um, I'm and again, I'm, full disclosure here, I, I, I'm an open book when it comes to this. And, you know, what really started the podcast, you know, the Unreasonable Grounds podcast, which this is presented by, is the root of it was that I was off taking time off and I was given a 90-day, you know, uh, I had this discussion with my, psycho- my psychologist and we agreed that 90 days was best to be able to take off after a series of incidents that have occurred over years of my career and all culminating with one particular incident where, and I won't go over the details, but where I finally uh, felt a, a bit of a, an uneasiness when it came to my, my mental well-being. And finally, I had to go into my supervisor's office and I had to go in with the note from my doctor, my physician, who I spoke with as well too, and and got written off. And I had to explain to them that I can't come in anymore. I got 90 days. I'm sorry. I was in a two-year post at the time. So I was in a two-year, you know, determinate position where it was a part-time position. I was only going to be there for, you know, that, that period of time. And here I am letting everybody down and letting them down because I was taking you know, a, a member of the team down. So I wasn't able to do surveillance with them. I wasn't, I wasn't going to be able to take on tasks. And it was probably one of the most complicated and uh, difficult things I've ever had to do, especially because I, I respect them so much. You know, these are the people that had my back and, and chose me to be a part of their unit and I let them down. So yeah, damn near had me in tears as I sat there and trying to explain it to them and and then having to walk out and walk out of that office was was extremely difficult. Um, but again, explain to your colleagues that they will have to carry the load for the next few weeks, months, and that's not any easier either. And I personally chose to do that myself. I didn't want another supervisor telling them for them. I'd like my thing was about being upright and honest with them and open with them, and then you know letting them know 
And then I kept them up to date and kind of how things were going. But that's very different for everybody, right? So some don't feel any need to explain themselves whatsoever to their coworkers. And then there's those like myself, like I said, uh, that feel the need to send boxes of Timbits and muffins every shift, you know, as trying to pay my 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 fine for not being there, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I know it's not necessary, but, it, you know, it's just the way I feel when it comes to that type of thing. The hope is that your team will understand that you're off for a good reason and you'll be making every effort to come back to work, right? But not every situation is like that. And this is another burden that, you know, weighs on people, weighed on me, and it weighs on me right now as well, too, while I'm going through this process. But uh, people often don't think of that, right, when it comes to it. And we always think about others. That's kind of how we're built. So do you always have to tell them what the medical issue is? Absolutely not. Uh, Will you want to? Yeah, sure, maybe. Will they find out? Mm, often through the wrong channels, probably. Then you know, rumor mills are rumor mills, and they're just like any other workplaces that you end up having to deal with that. But in the end, everybody finds out why you're off. It's just it is what it is. Uh, and for me, that open communication with your colleagues, team members, and that's not to say you're going to go around and do a, a memo or a bulletin or an email to the people that you work with or your detachment or your office, your agency, whatever it might be like that. That's that's ridiculous. But having that good conversation with your teammates, yeah, that might go a long way to dispel a lot of rumors, might go a long way to dispel um, any kind of concerns that they might have because, you know, they could be worrying about you. And if you can set them at ease a little bit, well, maybe that takes that little bit of an edge off of them and so they can do their jobs. But again, that's up to you. That's the, uh, the officer that's going through this. So I want to get into what the first steps into this world look like. All right. So you're off duty. You've been injured. You're sick. You're mentally unwell, whatever it might be. Hmm. What's the very first thing that you have to deal with. And what I've had the experience with in, uh, again, I don't know if it's, geez, I've never had to seriously sit down and think about it, but you know, it's, it's more than eight or nine times where short period of time where I've had to take a week, two weeks or two blocks, whatever you want to call it off or injury, or if it'd be a month, two month to be able to heal up from something, whether it be hernia, injury, strain, um, ligaments issue, whatever it might be, the very first thing that I've noticed and the biggest change that I go through every single time is the breaking with routines. We're humans. We have routines. We're habitual creatures. We get into our habits. We get into these uh, particular steps every single day, and especially with a predetermined schedule, how you do your day, how you separate your day into different tasks and start off, whatever it might be. These are completely thrown out the window. So the very first thing you end up doing is breaking out of that predetermined schedule. And it's and it's very, very, very complicated. It's not a vacation. This is life-altering for the period of time that you'll need to heal. And when we go into these particular types of routine-breaking scenarios, the difference between the vacation versus this time off is a vacation, that's planned. And that's a break. That is a... I'm taking time off to be with my family, by myself, travel, whatever it is you're going to be doing. And that is for your pleasure. Whatever you want to do on your time off, you go do, right, on your vacation. But when you're off duty, sick, hurt, injured, mentally unwell, whatever it might be, man, is that something very different. That changes the core of your well-being, of your entire being. It changes everything. So for me, 
mornings and evening are often the easiest. Yes, it changes a little bit being four on, four off, and then being early morning starts or late morning starts, whatever it might be, but I can get up. And as humans, we know we wake up in the morning, unless you're a complete night owl, but you wake up in the morning, you have breakfast, and your day starts. Okay, that's simple. I go have something to eat, I shower, I change, I dress, I get ready to go. All right. The evenings. All right. So we're done for the day. You have your dinner. You do extracurricular, whatever it might be. Sit around, watch TV, hang out with your kids, do their homework, help out, whatever it might be. Those are really simple things, but it's that midday, which is the most complicated. What do you do with yourself during that period of time is what often defines us. My mornings don't define me. And I'll tell you right now, my evenings don't define me other than podcasting. It's the midday. What do I do during that midday, that section between like eight o'clock and seven o'clock, six o'clock, whatever you want to do. You want to bring it back a little bit, five o'clock, that time, the eight to five. That's during that work day. If let's say if you work Monday to Friday, eight to four, eight to five, whatever it might be, that is the time where you're defined by your job as your career, your profession, whatever it might be. But now you don't have that. So what does that mean? What do you do with yourself? That's the most complicated thing. And for me, that's always been the kicker. It's like, what do I do? Do I, you know, sit around and mope around all day? Like I have to figure out how to fill those hours. A big part of that is obviously while we're at home, we have the deal. And, and if you're single, okay, you do it by yourself. I can only imagine. I've never been hurt, injured all the rest of it while I was single. So I have no idea what that experience is like. I could only imagine the isolation that those people must feel. And I feel for you because it would be extremely amplified in comparison to having a loved one or kids or family around to be able to support you and have your back. So man, I, I couldn't only even imagine. But on that point, having families, spouses, partners, and kids, whatever it might be, grandkids, that be the fact, having those around, it makes things better and it makes things more challenging. Because there's a few questions you got to ask yourself. Is your family ready to have you at home all the time? Ooh. Are you prepared to be around your family all the time? How do you prepare for that eventuality, right? In the times where I've been off, Ooh, that first question, is your family ready to have you at home all the time? No, they are absolutely not. They are never ready to have you at home all the time. As a first responder, as a law enforcement officer with these wild schedules, and over the years I've worked in several different plainclothes units, I've worked in intelligence units, I've worked in federal units, I've worked in general duty and small detachment and medium detachment, and the schedule always varies. We always get called out. But one thing is certain that we do have a, a schedule, like it's an a schedule to work. Your family often plans for that schedule, let me tell you. They are never ready to have you at home all the time. And that is very, very, very frustrating for a lot of different reasons. They love you. God, they love you but you are going to get in their hair and you're going to get it. You're going to get in their routines and you're going to get in the way. So are you ready for that? The next question is, is are you prepared to be around your family all the time? Maybe you are, depending on your life experience and depending on the experience you've had with your family over the years, especially in this profession. But my guess is that mentally you are likely not prepared to be around your family all the time as well. And we got to start dealing with that issue as well too. As people that are hurt, injured, off, sick, unwell, whatever it might be, uh, you know, the, these 
this is going to be stressful. This is going to be hard on you, right? And it's not about just about you. It's about everybody in this entire situation, this entire cycle of, of the people around you. It, but it, it, you know, there's like maybe some time for self-reflection here. And that it, it will bring this up. This will really become a big deal. So how do you prepare for this? Well, first and foremost, I can only give suggestions. Um, I'm by no means an expert at this. Um, presently, as going through the situation, I feel very much like I'm in my entire family's way. I feel like I'm in my wife's way. I feel like I'm in her hair all the time. I feel like I'm nothing but, you know, this giant obstacle to get around throughout the day. And that's a complicated emotion and feeling to get over as well. Because I constantly feel like I need to just be asking her if I need to get out of the house, if I need to do this, if I need to do that. I'm constantly looking to get her input, even though I'm pretty sure it's driving her absolutely nuts, me asking all the time. So there's that. But in that line of thought, really getting down to the nitty gritty of the discussions and communication between you, your family members, your spouse, partner, whatever it might be, is extremely important. Uh, making sure that you have open lines of communication with your partner and kids during this time is extremely useful and keeping boundaries, right? You want to make sure that you can talk about where you're going to be, your schedule, making up a schedule that you can go on, whether that mean you get out for walks in the morning, whether that means you get out to take your, your dog, you play with your dog, your pet, your animals, whatever it might be. Maybe live on a farm, getting out to go deal with the farm animals in the morning, uh, you know, going for coffee, you know, getting out, going out for a meal with somebody or whatever it might be, going to see other family members, whether it be going to the gym, you know, whatever that might be, is that constant communication that you can really focus on those boundaries. Uh, your loved ones aren't used to having you around this much, and this can often mess with their regular routines and throwing everyone off. So we have to always worry about that keeping your mind open to that and make sure that you're watching for these types of schedules and and getting used to what's going on and and getting used to what their schedules are like and routines are like because we often don't see them when we're at work in especially in law enforcement because we're always so hyper focused on what's going on in front of us you know the next task the next call the next investigative step that you need to take we don't think about what's going on at home And then all of a sudden you're thrusted into that situation and it's like, man, you know, I didn't know my kids did this. I didn't know my wife did this. I didn't know that, you know, she goes for coffee this time or I didn't know that this is her time when she goes and walks around the house or goes for a walk with the dog. You know, my kids, maybe they're playing at this time or they like to just hang out on their own at this time. You really have to be aware of those. So that communication is really key. So again, in let's talk about a little bit about communication with your employer, your team, and health services, because that's going to be a big part of this whole deal. Uh, this can often be very complicated and stressful because of the feeling of the need to get back to work. That's the biggest thing I've always felt. From day one when I'm off, I'm like, Jesus, I need to get back to work. I need to get back out there. I need to get back to the road. How do I do that in the quickest possible way? Well, that communication between your employer, your NCOs, whatever it might be, it's, it really comes down to open and honest communication with your team leaders. Your NCOs, obviously non-commissioned officers, if you're within the RCMP, and you know everybody calls the same organizations, call their supervisors, corporal sergeants, staff sergeants, NCOs, and senior management, depending on the size of the agency and detachment. 
It's always a good idea. And then setting expectations for return and providing them with appropriate information on your progress is highly suggested, uh, but only when requested or brought up in general conversation, right? This is one of those situations where your injury and wellness and your management and treatment plan is between you, your physician, your specialist, psychologist, whatever it might be in health services. That's it. If you feel comfortable in providing this to management, uh, obviously fill your boots, do whatever you're going to do. You shouldn't feel pressured to provide this. There are always channels and managers can go through to obtain this information if appropriate without causing you more harm. And having those open conversations with them on a regular basis, I can only suggest, and again, this is not a blueprint for how to go about, you know, getting back to work and whatever, but these are just things that I've learned over time. Having those conversations with your bosses, supervisors, whatever it might be, gives them a good heads up of A, where your head's at, B, where are you in the process and see how quickly can they expect you to return or how can they plan to be able to help you get what you need from the organization or agency to be able to get you back, whether that be uh, a, a memo to health services to get you something that you need, whatever it might be, or if it's just moral support. And I've had some fantastic supervisors, some amazing supervisors when it comes to this side, the moral support, because just a lot of the times they just don't know what to do. They don't know what to say to an officer that's dealing with things at home. And a lot of the time they just don't want to bother you. So often I wouldn't take silence as, you know, from the mothership, so to speak, as they don't care. Feel that one out for yourself. But in most cases, they just don't know how to help you at the time, or they feel they just don't want to step on your toes while you're going through your healing process. So give them a chance, have that communication. Does that mean you need to talk to them every week? Absolutely not. Does that mean you need to talk to them every month? Well, you don't have to, but maybe it's good to kind of swing in and have a conversation, go see people's faces. People probably miss you. They want to see you. Um, I have some amazing, if not the world's greatest team that I work with. Uh, They've taken me out. We've gone out for dinner during this whole process. Um, and I really have missed them and it's just, it's good to see them. It's good to see your supervisors, let them know that you're doing okay. If you get the opportunity to be able to do that. So we've talked about a couple of things today. We've gone over getting hurt and sick and more mentally unwell, like what that looks like. We've looked at who makes the decision that you're unfit for duty. We've looked at explaining to your employer and colleagues about this whole being off as well and finally, what the first steps into this new world looks like. Um, I hope I've shed some light on the experience that I've had throughout several different injuries, several different illnesses that I've had to deal with, medical issues uh, during my time in with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And I hope it's been useful. So moving past part two, we're going to move into the next episode here soon about mental health and the mental game when it comes to being away from the watch or being away from the unit or being away from the teen or being away from the workplace. This is a very, very, very complicated topic. I've gone over a little bit in this episode about what this really means. And I'm really looking forward to being able to step forward with this and have a good open discussion about the mental health aspect of being off and what it really truly means to be 
a first responder unable to respond. So I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. This is again, part two of the Road Back to the Road series that's presented by the Unreasonable Grounds podcast. Again, I'm Mike Thompson, creator and co-host of the podcast and somebody going through this situation right now. And I have to say thank you so much to my team, obviously with the podcast, my team at work with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and the Nanaimo Detachment, every single member of the detachment, uh, those that have reached out have been absolutely fantastic. Uh, My bosses, my supervisors, uh, everybody has been absolutely amazing through this entire process and trying to help me through and get me back to duty. As well as I have to, uh, the top of my list is thank my family. My wife has been absolutely amazing throughout this entire process. My kids, uh, my extended family as well too. My parents have to thank everybody for having my back and uh, and pushing forward with me to be able to get back on duty again. So I want everybody to be safe out there. I hope that you never have to go through this situation, but if you are going through the situation, continue to stay with the podcast. And I'm looking forward to being able to bring the next episode to you. Stay tuned. Check out the website, www.theunreasonablegroundspodcast.com. All right, be safe out there, guys. And we'll see you for the next episode.